Welcome to Art of Retreat 2019, the parkour leadership and education retreat. We're in the Cascade Mountains outside of Seattle, Washington. I'm Craig Constantine from Movers Mindset, and I'm here with Dan Edwards. Hi, Craig. Dan Edwards is the CEO and co-founder of Parkour Generations and has been a parkour coach for over 15 years. Dan established the ADAPT Parkour Coaching Qualifications, Parkour Fitness Specialist Certification, and the Parkour for Schools program. He has studied practical movement and physical fitness much of his life and travels the world as a speaker, teacher, and mover. Welcome, Dan. Good to be here, Greg. Always a pleasure. All right, Dan, you've been interviewed a million times. In fact, you're even on the Movers Mindset podcast, so I'm presuming you think you're excellent if you feel qualified to teach a session on creating a culture of excellence. So let's first start with, give me the executive summary before people press stop. Give me the executive summary of what the session was about and, and what people took away from it, like what your goal was. Um, so the goal of this session really is to is is actually to talk about how excellent uh, everyone else is in the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly not certainly not talk about how excellent I am. Um, uh, so this session really is about um, probably the thing that's most the most central, I suppose, to anyone's development or goals or project building or passion. The most central thing is themselves. Um, is uh, what is their what is their personal culture? And like culture is sort of defined as like, you know the customs, the habits, the Mm-hmm. Um, predispositions of, of a of a society or a group, but um, and and what I'm looking at really is the what's your pers- what's your personal culture? Um, because really, what what decides how well you do in any given endeavor is what culture you bring to it, not what you think or what you kind of hope or any of that sort of stuff or what you believe, but what's what are the what are the daily habits and daily mm. customs that um, that you repeat that either create something. You know, positive and lasting, uh, or create something that's a bit rickety and doesn't make it. So, so, um, so it's very much about sort of let, let's look at just you as an individual, you, you as a project builder, as a person, as an organization leader, as a, leader, as a coach, right? you know, whatever. Um, and what's your personal culture like? And have you examined it? And are you happy with it, or do you want to change it? And do you want to strive to make it excellent? Do you find that? people who because at the retreat here more like predominantly these people are already community leaders of some stature and i'm just wondering do you find that those people are drawn to the self-reflection that would lead to the self-analysis or do you find that um and i'm going to group myself in here do you find that we have blind spots where we don't see things we're just like we've found a piece that we can improve so we're working on that and we find that that we've left some blind spot unattended is that is that what you discover when you talk to them, or it's like people are all the same, cut from the same cloth? I think, um, I think, yeah. Most of the people in um, that have talked about this sort of stuff, they are normally there because they are some, they are, they are in some way driven, and they are in some way self-reflective because they've managed to make themselves um, effective enough to be to be there. So um, uh, you know, then then they're not, they're already driven. Types. They're already leaders. Mm. They're already um, they're already builders, self starters, um, right? Yeah. So they're already on that path. Um, but of course, everyone has blind spots. The definition of a blind spot is you don't know you've got it, right? So, <laughs> right. so unknown unknown. So exactly, everyone has that. Um, but also, it's not it's not even a question of that. It's normally a question. Most of the people I talked about this sort of stuff, they they know what they they know what they are doing kind of ineffectively or, or suboptimally, and they know that they should improve it, but then they don't. So a lot of this stuff is about sort of identifying why aren't we fixing these things why are we carrying on with these bad habits um when you know they're bad habits they're not helping you and why aren't you changing it um and normally it's because there's no sort of fixed plan to change it there's no sort of Mm. what's the first step what's the second step 
Um, so, so normally it's the case they they sort of most people know you know deep down most people know the answers to all of their problems. It's just a question of why aren't you activating those answers? So I'm listening to what you just said, and I'm thinking, wait, there's a trap here, which is that I already know my problem. So I'm listening to this recording and I'm going, yeah, I agree with that. I'm sure I have those unknown unknowns. And then I don't do anything. So how do you, and maybe this is one of your tricks in the talk that you don't want to share, but like, how do you, like, how do you actually catalyze that first step? How do you get people to really just own up to it and do it? So for me, I mean, the, what it comes down to is, is action is taking those steps. So the, and, and to sit in a way, it's like changing your, um, in a way, it's like changing your diet. If you want, if you want to change what you eat, you know, you can't, you can't just completely change it overnight. It just won't stick. It won't last, right? So the way you have to do that is, is small things first. You take one, you change one small thing, one thing you know you can change, um, and you know you can keep that change going for like two or three weeks. And the that small change, which might only give you one um, percent more energy yeah. in the day, or or one percent more time in the day, but that allows you with that one percent more energy, that allows you to make it a, to to make another change which will then maybe give you 5% more energy. Um, so it's a kind of a cascade effect. Um, uh, we're in the Cascade Mountains. That just kind of oh, clicked me. Well so done. I was that like, was wow. Perfect. So, um, do, so, all right. So in that cascade, do you, in your session, are you helping people figure out where that cascade trips off? Or are you just giving them a survey of things that they could go think about? Or like, how, how does the session really go? Is it, is it lecture? Was it outdoors? Or So no, the session is very kind of interactive. It's, um, um, it's, uh, it's a mix of, of, of me discussing some ideas and, and sort of going through some, um, some elements of my own, my own background, what I've discovered to be important in, in sort of trying to build that culture, my own personal culture. Um, and then uh, some activities where we actually get them to split into groups Mm. Um, and discuss topic areas um sort of we pick out four topic areas and they go and they each in groups they discuss these four areas they have to write down a load of answers on some sheets of paper big sheet of paper pin it on a wall um and then i give them time later in the session to go and look at what the other groups have written and then add uh, or change or or get plus signs if they agree to something um and they go around all four so so everyone sort of contributes to all four topics and then we do another activity near the end where it's more about um, kind of you, you as a person. What's your personal? What are your personal values? And we try and we try and di we try and um, distill Zoom in, that right. down to like what are the most important values for you? Because those are the things that you have to um, those things that are going to underpin all this. Those things that are going to give you the, the momentum to make these changes. And then kind of the last thing we do is um, is getting them to commit and write down one one change they're going to make mm. within the next week. So they really do yeah. walk out with, okay, yeah. I'm starting one here. One change in each of those four areas, actually. Right. It's actually like you have to commit to one of these, one thing in each of these four areas you're going to make in the next, I think we say in the next two, two, two weeks, three weeks, something mm. like that. But you must make that change in those. And it could be something tiny. It could be like, I'm going to drink a glass of water. First thing I'm going to do in the day is drink a glass, glass of, water. of water. It could be that. But that's what you were saying before, is that's that first step. So is there a way that we can challenge, because now people, that's a really good idea, but like, how do we challenge people listening? Can we, can we say like, go pick, pick in this area? Like, can we actually challenge people out there to, to take a first step? Yeah, I think the, and I think it all begins with the self. So the normally the one that I think is most important is because, you know, in the topics we talk about, we talk about like team building and, and, um, and that sort of stuff. But, so there's different topics, but the, probably the most central topic is self-care. So, um, because that, if you don't get that right, the, the rest of it will collapse. The right? foundation is rotten. Yeah. So, so the first step I would say to people is, um, first of all, sort of do a, do a reflection on your, on, on, are you looking after yourself and really be honest about it? Cause you know, they probably know, 
So be honest about it. Like, are you giving yourself enough time to think each day, to learn each day, to read? Are you giving enough time to do your own training and practice if you're a mover? Um, you know, are you are you taking enough time to chill out and do nothing? You know, stuff that's completely unrelated to to what you're doing. So, you know, are you are you giving yourself enough time to surface well in the morning? Are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Um, so go through that list, you know, and, and kind of really identify, be honest and say, these are the things I'm not doing well. And then go, right, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change one of those things, pick that thing and then make that change. And it has to, you have to make the change regularly for like, you know, a week or two, because then you'll begin to see the effects of it. Um, and I think you, you must pick that thing and then do that thing, you know. Um, so for Tim Ferriss, for example, the four hour work week, his thing was, um, his one of his early things was making his bed, right? Mm -hmm. That was the thing. He was yep. like, make my bed every morning. And that, and that kind of changes in a way that, that helped his mentality every morning because he knew that the first thing he'd done, even though it only took him three or four minutes to make his bed, he'd done something well that day already. That was right. it. So he'd already succeeded that day and that put him in a very positive mindset of like, I've already achieved something, which is just making my bed. But that, that put him in an upward spiral men mm. mentally for the rest of the day. So it could be something that simple, but pick it and then do it. And you will see that it affects you because you're, you as an individual, as a, psychologically, you are just a not just, but you, in large part, you are just a collection of what you do. You're just a collection right. of habits, habits and customs. So that is you. So if you make that change, it will change you. This seems to me that it would tie into being mindful. And I think a lot of people in movement spaces have a, have a, a well-tuned mindfulness or a well-tuned observational skill. But that might be one of the first things that people could start with if they're not sure, like, I don't really know whether I'm taking care of myself. You could actually dig into becoming observant of, you know, which parts of me hurt. And I'm wondering, do you find that, the, I, I love the idea of like, yeah, self-care is really something that needs to be paid attention to. And I'm wondering, do you find that like athletes are really egregious at that of like, they, they just burn the candle on all five ends and, and run themselves into the ground and then that comes back to haunt them? Or do they, to be a good athlete, you have to have cracked that nut and gotten at least some rudimentary skill set under your belt? Um, it, uh, I would say organization leaders and business people are worse at it than athletes. So mm. athletes now, especially nowadays, if they've got good guidance, um, they are normally very good at it because the guidance normally is pretty strict about it, right? So a lot, a lot of, so for example, the, um, I think a lot of the NFL teams now, they, um, they insist when they contract a player in the contract, it says how many hours sleep that person has to get per night. Mm. It's like something they actually sign a contract to. Um, and if they don't get those hours sleep, then the, you know, their, their club will say to them, well, yeah. you're, you're in breach of your contract here. You, yeah. you went out last night and you didn't get your eight hours sleep. We can't train you, right? Yeah. That's incredible, right? So, so athletes are, are looked after in that way pretty well, but people that run organizations, entrepreneurs, business people, to, there's no one looking out for them like that on the whole. So unless they have like a, a, a life coach or something. <laughs> right. So they will push normally too hard and burn burn the candle at both ends and they will break themselves down more than athletes in parkour certainly um there is a there, there is a culture of overtraining in parkour there always has been i suppose um i suppose it depends how you define overtraining but but there always has been this culture of like just just push through and i remember in the early yeah. days when when we were training in back in the really really far uh, far history of parkour um before youtube and all that the um you know the the, the rule then was that if you came to training with an injury you you weren't meant to speak about it you weren't meant to mention it it was it, you know don't mention it don't just just train yeah, if um, and you could train around it but you were not meant to complain about it in any way um and so people just used to overtrain they used to bash through it right yeah. uh, which is in some ways yeah you can say that that shows real strength of spirit and they can but in some ways it's also really stupid um right. so um so yeah i mean athletes do it and the parkour community has always had that um 
It's yeah. probably better now. There's probably more knowledge now around. But yeah, um, being drawn in from the other athletic yeah. venues. Is there? Um, I'm just wondering what what caused you, or what was the catalyst for you to create this this session, this particular teaching element? Like, was there something that you saw, or something that happened to you that you know gelled this? Like, no, I could actually put this together and deliver this. Um, yeah, it's interesting, and it kind of it's kind of two two reasons, I suppose. One, um, or two two um, catalysts for that, I guess. One is um, that I was I sort of ended up. Um, uh, being asked by other business people, entrepreneurs and organization leaders and things um, to help them with what they were doing. So they would come to me and, and well, I, not they wouldn't come to me sort of specifically about it, but would end up talking about it. And I would end up, because I've done this stuff for a long time now, I'd end up giving them some ideas mm -hmm. and, and they'd be like, this is really useful. Can we, can we follow up and do more of that? So I'd be like, okay. So we ended up, you know, doing phone calls and then we actually ended up doing sort of like days where, we'd, where I'd spend time with them and help them. And, and so I ended up kind of... Um, uh, coaching people in a way and which is and i realized okay this is just this is just coaching same as coaching parkour or moving or martial arts i'm just coaching a person here but that helped me understand that actually what these what most of these people needed wasn't necessarily um knowledge in their area or their topic or the subject they needed they needed to look at their habits and their customs and their beliefs mm. more um and then i was kind of like okay that's actually the most this is the most fundamental thing to get right so um uh, and and I realised that actually I can I'm, I'm, I seem to be having an effect on people. That people sort of get fed back and said this is amazing. It's really helping me. And I didn't really I hadn't yeah, really thought about I hadn't really thought about myself much. That perspective. Really. Um, so that was the uh, one catalyst for it um, was actually just the just being drawn into that world, I suppose. And secondly, the other catalyst was that again similar, but um, just my own observation in that um, there's now a fantastic amount of knowledge out there about sort of um you know if you want to build a business or and things like that you can get information if you want to if you want to train in parkour there's just now, now compared to 15 years ago there's now tons of information on good parkour training good movement training good you know and good coaching stuff as well adapters mm -hmm. work really well there's great coaching understanding coaching knowledge out there so that's all being done and there's great people doing it so i kind of thought well actually what what is even more fundamental to that now that that's kind of more interesting for me as well mm. um and this stuff i think is i find very very interesting is, is people's personal culture um so it was kind of that was also catalyzed by just my interest in it yeah um i think um one of the um so one of the stories that i that i use in in this talk um which i've always found really um inspirational i think in a way um is the uh i'm, I'm hugely into rugby um and um one of the and the best team in the world in rugby are the are the, the new zealand all blacks right so um these these and they've been they're they're a phenomenon in world sport right the, the all blacks have been the best team in world rugby for like 120 years <laughs> right pretty much unbroken pretty does anybody much. else play what happened right this, this is the thing right pretty much unbroken they've been the best for that time now that's a weird thing right that that's that in itself is on is completely unique in sport there's no other sport in the world where one team has dominated for over a century, a century. and never really not been the best in the world um that's weird so, um, and, and that is a very interesting question is like, how do they do that? Because it can't be something like money, talent, <laughs> the water, like right? Yeah. Because yeah. they, they don't have the most money. They're not the biggest rugby union. Um, they're not the biggest RFU, they're the biggest mm. rugby union. So New England and France, way bigger, way more money, way more players. Mm. So, um, so it's not to do that. So, and it comes down to this culture thing. It comes down to their culture they have as a team. It's fascinating. And one of the, um, one of the stories that I think is really exemplifies their culture and why they succeed is actually their their um their attention to detail so these guys they're the best 
players in the world in their sport. They, they're pretty much worshipped as deities in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would think they would have massive arrogance and massive sort of ego and, you know, would be like, well, they wouldn't do anything menial. But the culture of this team is such that they, when they um, travel and go to hotels, which they do a lot, obviously, and go and stay in hotels or whatever, um, it is they, the players themselves, they must clean their hotel room before they leave. And it must be spotless. They're not allowed to leave their hotel room in a mess at all. And that is, again, unusual. But they must clean it, the player themselves. They must also clean their changing rooms after they play a match. Mm. Norm, every other team has cleaners that would do that. They don't let the cleaners do it. The team do it. So, and if a new player comes into that culture, a new player becomes an all-black, the senior players were basically instilling them this discipline of like, you are going to clean your hotel room. You are going to clean the changing rooms. No one else, you're going to do it. And that, so these players come in and they, if they did have any ego, it's immediately crushed. It's like, right. no, no, you're going to do Here's the most brush, thing. Right. Yeah, so it's the cleaning first thing, right, in martial arts. I was going to say, oh, look, chop wood, carry water. Yeah, (laughs) and that is awesome, right? How many teams in the world do that? Not many, hardly, uh, probably no other teams do that. But I think that is the kind of, that's the reason why these guys succeed. They have a a huge attention to detail on every single thing they do. They do excellently, Mm. everything they do. And it's that old line, right, of how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. Um, So that, I think, is a a very inspirational story. And and that that team, for me, is they're a big inspiration. Like, if you could could get all your staff, or all your, or, you know, all your organization members, or all your coaches, to have that attitude, then you would have no problems. Hmm. You've been interviewed a lot, Dan, and in fact, you were on the podcast. And I'm wondering if there's something that people get wrong about you, or something that they believe about you, which you would say is actually not true or not the case. So, like, what's something they misunderstand about you? It's an interesting question. Um, probably lots of things. I mean, probably loads of people understand, misunderstand loads of things about loads of people, um, right? <laughs> almost, almost everyone probably is misunderstood. Um, uh, and I think um, that might be, that's probably the same for me. And I suppose anyone that is, that is uh, like well, well known in, 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 you know, when you say I'm well known, I don't know, I'm well known in a very, very niche industry right very small <laughs> very small place really um so um but anyone that's known that is going to um be misunderstood because people are gonna look at you and and um and, and take very small bits of information and hearsay and whatever and then extrapolate on that so um uh, i think um i don't i, I, th- I think it's probably is the case but I, i'm not really bothered about it because i think everyone is misunderstood in that way so and i think the key is just not to and what i try to one of the things i i'm always um I think as I get older, things more and more important. It's quite interesting. Is um, it's just not judging anyone ever, um, because you don't know what their reasonings for doing what they're doing. Um, you don't know how, like Plato said, be kind to everyone for they're all suffering, right? So everyone is suffering in some way, and that probably is causing them to do that thing that you think is terrible and you judge them for. Um, but actually, you don't really know what the reason they're doing that. They might have a for them, they might have a very good logical reason to be doing that. Um, or a very good emotional reason to be doing that. Um, and so, and you judging that just exacerbates the conflict and, and, and reduces the likelihood of any sort of um, good relationship or any understanding between you so, or any empathy. So, so I think that for me, the, one of the things I, I, more and more as I get older is I try not to judge. It's very hard to do as a human being, but try <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not to judge people, you know, even when you see them doing something that you personally don't, like you know and it could be something really small like dry it could be you know driving road rage is a classic example right because that's really that's where people are just judging everyone 
for being an idiot on the road, right. screaming and shouting and beeping their horn. But probably that person isn't meaning to be an idiot on the road. They've probably something else that's caused them to be that way in that situation or, or, or swerving or whatever. Um, so, you know, you can't judge them for it. You just need to, you need to, you need to not judge. You need to react and, and just observe and, um, and, and try to be um, objective about it and realize your own biases, your own blind spots, and don't let them affect you. So I think that's really key. And when you start doing that, you stop caring about when, whether people are judging you because you understand that they're going to do that anyway, but, uh, but I have good reasons for doing what I'm doing, um, but that won't always be communicated and therefore people can judge you. So you've just got to go, well, I don't Have you care. found that you're, um, the, I like the way you pointed out, like it's really not that, I'm not, I'm not not judging for them. I'm not judging for my own good. Like it's good for me to not judge. Yeah, and I'm wondering like, have you seen yourself change over the years? Like, can you remember the Dan that was judgmental? Can you remember... Uh, you know, can you remember the transition? Like, what was that? What was the transition like? Uh, I mean, obviously, and it's not that I'm not judgmental now, right? It's, it's very hard for a human <laughs> being not to be judgmental. Now, but now I'm just, I'm just more, and I guess I probably always have been this way, actually. But now, as as I get more into, it, I'm more aware of the of the moments when the small moments when that judgmental that judgment can begin. The small moment of like when you start thinking, when you start thinking, oh, this person's walking really slowly in front of me. Mm. You know, that's where it begins, right? It's just that moment of that moment of um, frustration at, at the act at someone else's action, right? So some, you know, some someone's walking slowly in front of you in the tube in London, mm. and a lot of people get pissed off in the tube in London because there's a, there's a lot <laughs> of people walking. I have noticed that. I'm yeah. usually the slow guy looking at my phone. Where am I going? Right? <laughs> and there's people around you, but you know, and they're all tutting and. Like, oh, whatever um super common right but but actually it's madness to think like that and again it's nothing to do with the other person the other person couldn't care less that you're tutting and judging them right but all it's doing is making you upset and angry and frustrated so but feeling that the moment that starts to rise that's where you have to think why am i conflicting with the world around me this is conflict with the world around the world around me is as it is this person is walking slowly in front of me that's the world that that's i can't i can't control that but i control my response to it um and my response to it automatically is annoyance and frustration and that's the bit I have to understand. Why, why am I responding like that? Um, so it's nothing to do with the other person. Mm. It's solely, to, when you judge, it is solely to do with you and your, and your in, in a way, your inadequacies, your, your inability to understand your own emotion, to, con- to control who you are and what you think. Um, the monkey mind, right? Mm. It's, it's, that's in control, not you. Is that your biggest struggle these days? The, the struggle to rein in the judgment or? No, I mean, I'm, I, I guess... I, again, I, I, I'm, I've always been okay at it, so I've always been pretty good at it. It's very, it doesn't nothing like that really unsettles me. Um, I don't have that, for example. That is not one that really bothers me. But, um, but there are still things, obviously, that that will that that you will feel that feeling rise up, and everyone has that. So I, there are still things in my life where I feel that rise up. It's pretty rare, but it doesn't matter that it's rare. If it only happens once a year, it bothers me because it's like it's still there. Why is it still there? You know, why 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 haven't I got rid of that? Yeah, I've been trying to. I've been thinking about these things and these philosophies and meditating on this sort of stuff for like 30 years now, 35 years probably. Um, and it's like, why, why is it still there? Why haven't I cracked that? So it is, a, it, it is, a, it is an, an endless life pursuit. An evergreen, right. Um, but but um, uh, yeah, it's something, that, uh, it's something that, I, that, I, that I think is worth thinking about. And if the world judged less, if people judged less, they would have a better life. It's not even that the world would be better. They would have better lives. Yeah. <laughs> so. the, the Dalai Lama, the, the current Dalai Lama said, uh, if you want to be happy, no, if you want other people to be happy, practice compassion. And if you want to be happy, practice compassion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing a compassion theme. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to, a good way to think about what, what you're saying. I think it's a good way to think about uh, approaching life and 
you know, keeping what, what I can control, which is my own thoughts pretty much is all what I can control, keep my mind on that. And, um, the rest of it will fall. I mean, you, not that I'm going to have complete indifference, but I have a preferred outcome, but I'm also not going to have a tantrum when the traffic doesn't go the way I was, the way I was thinking. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's not a, it's not a passive way of being. A lot of people sort of interpret these things as, um, uh, as yeah, throwing your hands up. Like, oh, I can't do anything. Yeah. And surrender, but it's absolutely not. It's completely the opposite. It's complete. It's, it's supremely active because you're, you're for once in control. It's it, passive is the opposite. Being frustrated in judgment, that's being passive because you're not in control. Your right. mind's in control. You're just responding to the world, and you're not in you're not in charge of that response. Yeah, if I have a certain amount of capacity to act and to think, well, I should put that where it is entirely effective, <laughs> not any place else. Would yeah. be would be how to maximize my effect. Exactly. So, I mean, it's logotherapy in a way. It's Viktor Frankl, you know, man's yeah. search for meaning. It's, yeah. it's all that sort of stuff. Um, and you know, he obviously did it to a very extreme level in Auschwitz, but. Um, but it, there's no reason why we can't all practice that mm. and, and try and attain that sort of understanding. And it, yeah, it just makes you, when you, when you do it, your, your life becomes better because you stop being angry and frustrated, which mm. just generally affects you. No one else gives a shit if you're angry. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you feel really bad. So it's better to, for you to try and get rid of it. So. And now, now I'm thinking, is that something that bites people when they try to create a team or a culture? So if I set out, as I actually have, to create a culture of excellence in the team of people that I work with, um, I, this, in my case, I actually find the situations come up where I go, oh, why did they do, uh, and then it's like, wait, I have to, so I'm wondering, is that a common theme for people to not have realized that, that let's call it a culture of judgment, that's not a perfect way to put it, but it, they haven't realized that that culture of judgment that they have, that's actually one of the, I'm wondering, is that one of the biggest things that they have to overcome? It's a massive issue, yeah. It's a massive issue for leaders and, and um, uh, you know, people leading organizations and, and managers as well, not only the leaders, but also the managers in the organization. It's a huge issue if you judge the people who you're working with um, uh, for their actions and attack them and, and create that conflict. It is, gonna, it is not going to be health for the organization. So um, it, it's, to it's very, very suboptimal. Um, so the, the, the better thing to do is obviously to see every situation as a potential coaching situation. That is the best thing to do, I think, is to see a, a leader sh should be a really good coach, as in if someone doesn't do something entirely um, efficiently or optimally, then you shouldn't criticize them at all. You should literally just look at it very objectively with them and say, um, you know, is that the desired outcome that we want? Do you, do you want that desired? Is that the outcome you wanted? And if they, they're probably going to say, no, it's suboptimal. And you go, great, well, you know, how can we make it optimal? What would you have done to make it? Or if you could do it again, what would you do? They, normally they come up with the answer and go actually like yeah if we did that it'd be better and you go great let's do that so you actually don't need to come up with any of the answers <laughs> as yeah it's leading right it's you, leading you, the it's question. just coaching right and coach good coaching is just asking right the right questions at the right time so a good leader is one very powerful way of leadership is just to ask people the right question at the right time and then let them solve the problems and most and if you do that you create the culture of they understand they, they then begin coaching themselves and coaching other people in the organization so you create a culture of coaching within the organization amongst peers, um, and then you become quite hands off because all the problems fix themselves. It's a, it's um, it's you know it becomes an open feedback yeah, system, right? right? Where, where it's looking for problems and then solving them, hmm. um, and and then you don't need to do anything, hmm. <laughs> um, or very little anyway. You right. just need to, to 
Well, you need to do less, let's say, not really. But you, um, <laughs> you can do less. Um, you can at least not create problems that yeah. you then have to solve, right? Exactly. Yeah. Actually, yeah. you probably then will create some problems, but because um, you're, <laughs> then you're free to go off and like do new, do come up with new ideas. Yes. So you go off and do that, and then your people will probably have to clear up those problems. But um, <laughs> but they will now clear up those problems because they've, they've got the coaching to have, right? Come yeah. On. So. <laughs> So Dan, where else can people read more by you or get a hold of you or how can they talk to you? And maybe what also what if there's something that you would like to know from other people, like to sort of encourage this breaking the fourth wall idea, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach me on if you go if you go to parkwoodgenerations.com, you'll eventually be able to reach me through there. Someone will point you in my direction if you're looking for me. Um, or you can go to my website, danedwards.com, uh, or you can find me on Instagram, which is just Dan underscore Edwards, I think, and Twitter's Dan Edwards and Facebook. I mean, who's it? Who's you can't find Dan days? Edwards, right? <laughs> yeah, apart from Craig, who's pulled off of all these things. But um, uh, yeah, you can you can uh, you can probably find me. But the easiest way to find me, I guess, is through parkwoodgenerations.com. The, the the people there will direct you if you. If you're particularly looking for me, but probably what we'll do is direct you to someone who's more knowledgeable than I am in the thing you're looking for, and then they will solve the problem or answer your question for you. Because <laughs> um, I, you know, I definitely don't know the most in uh, in the organisation about most things. So, well, I appreciate your time today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Dan. And same for me, Greg. This was one of 23 interviews from the 2019 North American Art of Retreat. To hear the rest, check out Art of Retreat on Castbox.fm. You can find out more about the Art of Retreat at artofretreat.com. Thank you for listening.